Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would please, back to our series on 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll be beginning in verse 13 and branching over into chapter 2, verse 2 of chapter 2. Looking this morning at the subject matter, keeping the faith. Verse 13 of chapter 1. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service that he rendered at Ephesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses in trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Father, thank you for these words that you inspired the Apostle Paul to write to Timothy. And Lord, help us to see that these words are not simply for Timothy, but for us. And Lord, help us to see that when we talk about the church and the needs in the church... And what we ought to be about. Help us to clearly understand that we are the church. Lord, I pray that every one of us in here this morning would see from this passage what our responsibilities are. We live in a dark world. We live in a world that has largely forsaken the gospel. And the world is attacking the gospel. And we see that many Christians or many professing Christians are wavering on what they believe. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be strong and firm and sure in our convictions. May we not depart from your word. May we cherish it. And propagate it to others. Strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit. For the work that you have for us right here in Concord and around the globe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, as we begin looking at this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 1. I want to just by way of context remind you of where Timothy is. Timothy is a pastor in Ephesus, the church at Ephesus. And by the way, that is the place where the Apostle Paul spent more time than in any other single location. 
He was in Ephesus uh, two years at least that we know of, maybe a little bit longer. Here's the Apostle Paul, and he's traveling all along the Roman Empire at the time, but he sort of parked himself in Ephesus for a longer period of time than he usually did. Well, now he's gone from Ephesus. And he's left his son in the faith, Timothy, to be the pastor there. And you'll recall what Luke says about Paul voyaging around Ephesus as he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem because he's taking an offering there for the saints and he wants to get there before the Passover. But Luke says in Acts chapter 20 that as they're going around selling by Ephesus... They get off the ship there and on the beach he calls for the elders of the church at Ephesus. And and while he's on the beach there he gives them a challenge. And it is a challenge directly related to our passage this morning. In Acts chapter 20, Luke is recording Paul's words and listen to what he says. Paul says, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now think of how that passage ties in with this passage. I want to talk to you this morning about the most important work that we have. And I trust that you'll remember what I say this morning. We've been given a great responsibility as a church. We've been given a stewardship. And we remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 2 about a stewardship. He says, and this is the one thing that is required of stewards that a man be found faithful. God has given us a stewardship. He has given us the gospel. And every one of us need to ask ourselves, what am I doing with this treasure that God has given to me? What are we as a church doing with this treasure of the gospel that God has given to us? Because you see, one of these days, we're all going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. Imagine possessing the most important thing in all the world and not doing anything with it. How severe that would be. Paul is writing to Timothy here what the challenge is for every single believer in every single age. 
You see, the truth of the matter is we have a great work to do as the church. And that's what Paul is admonishing Timothy about. Now I want you to remember something about 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is Paul's last will and testament, if you will. It is his swan song to his son in the faith, Timothy. Paul knows that he is about to be killed. And indeed he was. Paul was in prison twice for doing nothing else but preaching the gospel. Now the book of Acts closes with his first imprisonment. And his first imprisonment was more like a house arrest. He was chained to a Roman soldier but under house arrest. And he was free to receive guests to some degree. But when we come to 2 Timothy, Paul is in a cold dark dungeon in Rome and he knows this time that he's not going to be set free we know from history from church history that Nero the Roman Emperor had Paul killed he had him beheaded and that's about to happen as Paul is writing these words but you'll notice something as Paul is writing these words he's not concerned about himself Because he says, I know in whom I have believed and I know that he is able to guard that which I've entrusted to him until that day. He's not worried about himself. He's worried about Timothy. He's worried about the church. And so in this book, he's giving Timothy a series of admonitions, things that Timothy and the other people in the church need to keep in the forefront of their minds. We're going to see this morning what these challenges are. Number one, we need to preserve the gospel. Number two, we need to protect the gospel. And number three, we are to propagate the gospel. Let's look at all three of those this morning. First of all, from verse 13, we see that we are to preserve the gospel. He says here, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Circle that phrase, follow the pattern of the sound words. Folks, we must dearly hold on to the words of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now the idea here is that on our own, we would do nothing to compromise the gospel. You see, in a moment, Paul is going to talk about those who would come in from the outside and attack the flock and attack the gospel. And we'll look at that in a moment. But first of all, in verse 13, he's telling you and I, he's telling Timothy and you and I, that we, as far as it's concerned with ourselves, we must preserve the gospel. There's nothing that we should do on our own that would compromise our beliefs or compromise the gospel. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. And we need to preserve the great doctrines in the Word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why is it so important to do that? Because remember what Paul said in Romans 1.16. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. The power of God and salvation to all who believe. 
And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he, he says there that we're not to be ashamed of the preaching of the cross. The world sees the preaching of the cross as foolishness. But he says the preaching of the cross is the means that God uses to save those who believe. And so we are to preserve the gospel. We are to preserve the word of God. Folks, you and I need to see that what we are about as Christians and what we're about as a church is very serious business. We do not come here on a Sunday morning and meet just simply to give you and I something else to do during the week or so we can come here and meet and catch up with our friends. We need to see that we're about the gospel business. The most important business on the face of the earth. And as we're about the gospel business, we need to see the importance of the word of God. And we need to preserve it. Because it's not simply the words of men. It is the very word of God. Peter said in 2 Peter 1.21 that men of old were carried along. They were moved by the Holy Spirit to write what they wrote. It's not simply a human document. It's God's word to us. It's God's revelation. In 2 Timothy 3.16, we're going to read that the word of God, all of the word of God is God-breathed. It is inspired. And as such, it is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness that the man or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We need to see the importance of God's Word. Think about the Bible for a moment. Written by many different authors, some peasants, some priests, one who was a former rabbi, some fishermen, some princes or kings, one who had been a tax collector, and on and on we could go. And the Bible is a collection of 66 books written from various places across the ancient world. In many instances, one writer did not know what the other writer was saying. And yet, when you bring all these 66 books together, they tell one glorious story of redemption through Jesus Christ. Now, folks, what can you say about that? You can't say anything other than to acknowledge that it is God's revelation. It is inspired. And where is it that Timothy heard the gospel from? He heard it from Paul. And where did Paul hear it from? He heard it from Jesus Christ. And so he's saying to Timothy that Timothy needs to retain this. He needs to hold on to this. He needs to preserve it. Because the words he's heard from Paul will be a pattern for him to follow in his own Christian life. This was to be his standard or his pattern. The word that he uses here was very interesting. It was used of a form or a sketch or a mold or an outline that an artist would use. Ladies, you could think about it being like some of you go down to a cloth store today and you buy a pattern to go by. 
Or it might be used of an architect or a builder who was following a very definite blueprint. And that's what Timothy had from the Apostle Paul. He had an outline, a blueprint of what to preach and teach. Folks, it is not our job to deviate from the standard. It is not for you and me to go trying to tailor the Word of God to meet our likes or dislikes or the likes and the dislikes of the culture. It's not our place to do that. If we accept the Word of God as the Word of God, which I hope you do, it is our job to preserve it. One of the things that bothers me so much about Christianity at large today is the way so many professing Christians have this idea when it comes to the Bible that they can sort of pick and choose. Oh, I like this. I don't like this. So I'll cut this out of my Bible essentially. And I'll embrace this, but I won't embrace this. And it's kind of like the old Burger King motto. You remember the old Burger King motto? What was it? You can have it your way. And there's sadly many Christians are, again, professing Christians who want to try to have it their way. What they're going to pick and choose out of God's Word. And if that's what you do, let me suggest to you that you have a big time problem at the very heart and core of your faith. Timothy is being told to preserve this pattern. To hold on to it. There's a great need today for disciples to know the scripture and to know the great doctrines of our faith. What we read in the word of God gives us our pattern, gives us our our blueprint. God's word defines for us what doctrines we are to believe and follow. And we are to teach and preach the whole counsel of God. Now, folks, as we think about doctrine, that scares some people to death today to talk about doctrine. But what do we mean when we talk about doctrine? We just mean those great themes of the Bible. You want to know doctrine? What do you need to do? You need to get into your your Bible and study the Word of God. Because it's through systematic study of the Word of God that you learn doctrine. And so you need to read it and study it and trust God that through the power of His Spirit, He's going to help you understand it. And as He does, it is going to be a great blessing to your soul. This is what Timothy is being told to hang on to. He is to hold on to it in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. As Timothy continued in the doctrines of the Christian faith, it would be a great blessing to his soul and to all those who heard him. Look with me again at verse 13. Circle those words, sound words. Now the Greek word for sound here literally means Healthy, healthy words. And it's the word from which we get our word today, hygiene. Hygiene. Good hygiene is important, isn't it? Let me make an analogy here between the physical and the spiritual. Think first of all about the importance of physical hygiene, good hygiene. I'll never forget what one of my seminary professors told us one time. 
He was, at the time, he was a missionary on foreign soil with our International Mission Board. And he witnessed something that a young man did. And as he witnessed that, he thought to himself, you know, sometimes back in America we complain about some of our government regulations. He said, but you know, I'm grateful for some of those good regulations that have to do with hygiene. He said there was a little boy, a delivery boy, riding his bicycle and he had a basket on the front of his bicycle and in that basket he had these glass jugs of milk much like some of you senior citizens remember how the milkman used to deliver milk to your door in those glass jugs. And he said that little boy is quickly pedaling his bicycle along and it hit a rock or some loose gravel or something and that bicycle went down and those milk bottles spilled out and as they spilled out that little boy he jumped up and he he stood those bottles up real quickly as fast as he could but some of the milk had drained out and so what that little boy did and Dr. Smith was watching and the little boy didn't know that of course but that little boy took those jars of milk and he walked over to the roadside where the latrine was and he dipped those bottles down in the latrine and he filled them back up to the level where they should be and then he put them back in his basket and he jumped on his bicycle and he pedaled off to deliver his milk physical hygiene is important isn't it for good health well folks if you want a healthy soul If you want a clean soul that is free of the filth and waste of the world, you've got to hold on to the pattern of sound words because good doctrine produces good spiritual health. The word was also used, this word was also used in the gospels of people whom Jesus healed from diseases. They were sick. They were maimed. Jesus healed them and made them whole. It is the word of God that can heal a diseased soul and make it whole. Now I want you to notice something here that we hold on to the pattern of sound words in faith. That is we are to believe, we are to be convinced that it is true. We can be assured that the Bible is the word of God and it can be trusted. Now folks when I come to chapter 3, in chapter 3 we're going to get into the doctrine of scripture. Okay? And when we come to chapter 3, I'm going to give you reasons why you can be assured that the Bible is the Word of God. You do not have to kick your mind into neutral to believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And we're going to see that when we come to chapter 3. You might hear people out on the street today saying, Oh, the Bible's just a a man-made book of contradictions and and myths and falsehoods and all that kind of... Let me assure you of something. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't. And I'll go over some matters of textual criticism with you and some reasons why we can know that the Bible we hold in our hands can be trusted. It is the Word of God. Again, you don't have to kick your mind into neutral. 
Until we get to that in chapter 3, let me just say, uh, use the example of Billy Graham as a good example. In the early days of Billy Graham's ministry, there were things in the Bible he didn't understand. And he said he came to a place in his ministry one day that he said, God, there are people who tell me that there are certain sections of your word that I shouldn't believe. But God, I'm just going to accept by faith that it is your word. If there are things in it that I don't understand, it is because my mind is finite and yours is infinite. And given the scope of time and given the scope of eternity, I will clearly see why everything in your word can indeed be trusted. It is truth. But he said, I'm just going to accept by faith it is your word. And Billy Graham all these decades has used that as his rule of thumb. Well, folks, let me suggest to you that's a good rule of thumb. And again, we'll cover in chapter 3 that you don't have to enter into that kind of commitment with some blind, ignorant faith. You and I have very good reasons for trusting the reliability of Scripture. And again, Timothy is being told by Paul, Paul, you need, uh, Paul is being told, Timothy is being told by Paul, Timothy, you need to hang on to this pattern of sound words in faith. You need to believe it and hold on to it also in love. You see, doctrine isn't to be cold. We're to have a warm heart also. As John R.W. Stott writes, Timothy is to have a sincere belief and a tender charity. Well, not only is he to preserve uh, the gospel, but secondly, he's told in verse 14 that he is to protect the gospel. Look at what he says in verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Circle that word, guard. That might seem like a strong word, guard. That would almost sound like somebody is trying to attack God's Word. Is that true? Yes. We don't get very far into our Bibles. In fact, we get to Genesis 3 right after the creation account. And what's the, what's the very next thing we read in our Bibles? It is how Satan came along and tempted the first couple, Adam and Eve. He spoke to Eve and said, Hath God really said? And what did Satan try to do? He tried to cast doubt and dispersion upon the Word of God. Does he do that today? You better believe it. And how does he do it today so oftentimes? Through people who would come into the church and time it's said and done, it's revealed that they're false teachers. And Timothy is being told here, Timothy, you, you don't only need to preserve the gospel yourself in your own heart and soul, knowing what you believe and why, but you need to protect the gospel because there are enemies to the Word of God that want to cast dispersion and doubt on it. And can I say to my generation and up, we, we don't understand sometimes and appreciate what these young people today have to face. 
Because see, back when we were young and in school, most people around us accepted the Word of God for what it is. But you know what? They go out to the schoolhouse now, and the teachers and professors and many of their friends try to attack every single line of the Scripture. We need to appreciate what some of these young people face on a daily basis because they're in a culture that is attacking the integrity of the Word of God. We need to guard it. We need to guard it. I think of what Jude said, the next to the last book in the Bible, Jude. It's only one chapter, so in verse 3, remember what Jude said. He said, you know, I was, and, I, and the reason I mentioned Jude, it sounds a lot like what Paul is saying here to Timothy. Because Jude says, you know, I, I, was, I was going to write a letter to you talking about our common salvation. But he said, all of a sudden I felt the need to write to you uh, earnestly admonishing you to contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. And why did Jude say he was doing that, switching the purpose of his letter? Because there were many people out there who were attacking the gospel and trying to undermine the faith that was uh, first of all, delivered to the saints. We know that by the end of the first century and into the second century and the third, the church faced a heresy. The, the first great heresy that the church came up against was probably Gnosticism. And they had to counter that false teaching. Right after Gnosticism, there were other heresies that, that, that followed. And what Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you have a treasure here to guard. The word that Paul uses of guarding this treasure of the Word of God and protecting it was a word that was sometimes used of guarding treasure that would be in ancient palaces. Because sometimes with ancient palaces, there would be gangs that would come on those palaces and attack them and go into that palace and rob it and loot it of all of its treasure. And Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, we have a treasure in the Word of God. The church has a treasure, the treasure that's greater than all treasures, the Word of God. And there are people just like those criminals who would raid an ancient palace and try to steal everything out of it. There are those who would come into the church and try to steal the gospel and defame the gospel, the Word of God. And so you need to guard it. D.A. Carson's written a great book. It's called The Gagging of God. The Gagging of God. D.A. Carson is certainly one of the top scholar, biblical scholars in the world today. Sharp, sharp guy out of Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He's written a book, Gagging of God, talking about some of all this stuff coming in today that the church needs to be very alert to and careful to, and we need to guard the gospel. He talks in the introduction to his book about three different kinds of pluralism that we face today. First of all, there's empirical pluralism. And empirical pluralism, and as he points out, it's neither good or bad. Uh, but he's just talking about how there's a great diversity in the world today around us. 
Just simply a great diversity. You look at the world today, you look at the population, you see what's going on, and there's empirical pluralism. We're told, for instance, in the Charlotte school system, there are more than 500 languages now spoken. Empirical pluralism. Cherished pluralism is what he writes about. Secondly, cherished pluralism simply says there are many people who celebrate that empirical pluralism. They celebrate the fact that we're a more diverse society. Again, neither good or bad. We just celebrate. As Christians, we can celebrate a greater diversity in the sense that God is bringing the mission field to us. Great opportunity that we have. But he says the big one that we have to face is philosophical pluralism. Philosophical pluralism is opposed to absolute truth. The word of God is absolute truth. Philosophical pluralism is against absolute truth. And it says what's true for you may not be true for me. What's true for me may not be true for you. In modernism, we could have a debate and the best side came out winning. But in postmodernism, you're not even supposed to tell anybody that their ideas might be wrong. You can have people in a room believing different things that even contradict reality and contradict one another. And still we're not supposed to say anything. Philosophical pluralism. One of the great things today we have to guard the gospel against. Because folks, the word of God is absolute truth. Amen? Absolute truth. Carson makes the point that philosophical pluralism is perhaps the biggest challenge to the gospel since the Gnosticism of the first and second century. So whether it's Jude or whether it's Paul writing to Timothy, what is the challenge? Guard the gospel. Guard the gospel. What is the gospel that we're to guard? Well, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 15. It is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the heart and the core of the gospel that we need to guard. And as we do this, he points out here in verses 15 to 18 that we will have both friends and foes. Friends and foes. Now, folks, I want you to think about what's happened here uh, in verses 15 to 18. In Acts chapter 19, Luke says that all of the residents of Asia Minor had heard the word of the Lord and many had believed. Well, now we come to 2 Timothy, and Paul says that all in Asia have turned away from him. What's happened? Most likely, many of those that Luke was talking about who had heard the word and believed, they, weren't genu- they, they, they had not counted the cost of being a true disciple. 
And so when persecution came and their greatest leader, the Apostle Paul, when they saw him being thrown into prison, they couldn't, they didn't have the faith and the fortitude to stand up to something like that because they might be thinking, what's happened to Paul? Might happen to me. And so now by the time we get to 2 Timothy, Paul is saying many of those who once professed faith in Christ, they'd not counted the cost and now they've turned away. Folks, don't think that people in the world are going to agree with you and me. And there are even some who profess faith in Christ that time it's said and done, they'll turn away. Did they lose it? Did they lose their salvation? No, because I don't think a real salvation is lost. I believe saved and secured. They never had it to begin with. They never counted the cost. And we're seeing many Christians, many professing Christians in our day and age as we're facing all this stuff going on in the culture and all this philosophical pluralism. What are they doing? They're turning away. But Paul mentions one man here who stood with him. Onesiphorus. Folks, isn't it great as we stand firm in the gospel, there are going to be true disciples who stand with us. Isn't that encouraging? And we can pray for one another and help one another and encourage one another. So Timothy is being told here that not only is the gospel a pattern for his life, but follow this, he's also saying that Onesiphorus is a pattern for Timothy's life. Timothy needs to emulate Onesiphorus. A man who had guarded the gospel. Preserve the gospel. Protect the gospel. But moving on, we see thirdly here that we must propagate the gospel. Look at chapter 2. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In light of the massive defection from the faith that Paul has just mentioned by men who were probably not saved to begin with, there's a great need in Timothy's life that he takes his cue from men like Onesiphorus. Because if Timothy simply followed the crowd, he too would turn away. Timothy needs to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul is not asking Timothy to do all this on his own. He's to allow himself to be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. In other words, folks, just as salvation is of the Lord, so is the grace that is needed to live the Christian life. It's the strength and the fortitude that comes from the Lord himself. So Timothy's not being told to pull himself up by his own bootstraps. He's being told to be made strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then he tells Timothy that he's got to propagate the faith. And he gives a four-point outline of the transmission of the faith. First of all, Paul points out here that... What he is teaching Timothy had first of all been entrusted to him by the Lord himself. 
Paul got his message from Jesus. Remember what Paul said to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 1? He said, this gospel that I've come to you preaching, I didn't, I didn't hear it from men. I didn't receive it from men. I received it from the Lord Jesus himself. Then Paul passed it on to Timothy. He did this in the presence of many witnesses showing that the gospel is not some hidden message that's passed on in secret. Everything about the gospel is open and transparent. What do cults so oftentimes want to do? They just meet behind closed doors with no windows or whatever and have these secret meetings. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is out there for everybody to see and judge. Thirdly, Timothy was to pass it on to reliable men. And then fourthly, these reliable men would pass it on still to others. Folks, we need to see how all of these admonitions tie in together and build upon one another. Let's, let's pull all these pieces together because we need to understand that there are many ways, if we're not careful, that the gospel can be silent. It can be silenced if we fail to preserve it. It can be silenced if we fail to protect it. It can be silenced if we fail to propagate it. For the gospel to march forward and the church to continue to flourish through the years, all of the above building blocks have to be in place. We've got to preserve protect, and propagate. You see, if we don't preserve the faith, we might, if we don't preserve it in the sense of knowing what we believe and why, then we ourselves will falter. If we don't protect it, we will allow others to come in and silence the message by attacking it and turning people away. If we preserve it and protect it, but don't propagate it, nobody else hears. It's Christ who builds his church, but he does it through disciples who preserve and protect and propagate the faith. Amen? You see the pattern there? Now, folks, I want you to understand something as we read 2 Timothy. Hear me now, okay? Hear me. We read books in the Bible like this, and we think it's Paul writing it to Timothy in the first century, and we say, what does that have to do with me? Folks, it has everything to do with you there is as great a need for you and I to do exactly what Paul is admonishing Timothy to do as the need was for Timothy himself Timothy lived in a culture that was attacking the gospel he lived in a dark culture we do too we do too and in the Great Commission, we've got to get out of this thinking, oh, the church, as though the church is something out there that's going to do it. The church is going to do all this that I'm supposed to be. The church is going to take care. Who is the church? You're the church. I'm the church. 
You've got to preserve the gospel. You've got to know what you believe and why you believe. You've got to protect it because there are people you'll meet out on the streets tomorrow who will attack the integrity of the gospel. And so you've got to protect it. And you've got to share it. Great Commission wasn't just given to pastors and teachers in the church and deacons in the church. The Great Commission was given to all disciples. You've got to preserve it, you've got to protect it, and you've got to propagate it. Folks, the challenge of the gospel falls squarely in your lap and my lap. And that's the Lord doing it. He's sovereign. He's the one who will build his church. But he builds his church as faithful disciples get the message out. What are you doing? Are you faithful? Are you keeping the faith? Listen to how Dr. John R.W. Stott closes out this section. He says, and I quote, We have seen that the gospel is good news of salvation promised from eternity, secured by Christ in time. Our first duty is to communicate this gospel, to use old ways and seek fresh ways of making it known throughout the world. If we do so, we shall undoubtedly suffer for it. For the authentic gospel has never been popular. It humbles sinners too much. And when we are called to suffer for the gospel, we are tempted to trim it. To eliminate those elements which give offense and cause opposition. To mute the notes which jar on sensitive modern ears. But Stott says we must resist that temptation at all costs. For above all we are called to guard the gospel keeping it pure whatever the cost and preserving it against every corruption. We are to guard it faithfully. We are to spread it actively and we are to suffer for it bravely. Stott writes that is your threefold duty. How are you doing at your duty of keeping the faith? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these words to a young man. Words that very much resonate with us today. Lord, we know that living for Jesus Christ has never been the easy way. Christians have never been in the majority. How dare we think that our Christian life is supposed to cost us nothing. Nothing. 